can see the difference in their face now Casualties of money and the fame Posing for the cameras with that fake smile A clone of someone who they used to be I can't be replicated Copy the attitude and it changed But no one will ever do me the same I was the perfect person. I was like Central Casting. Central Casting, you can't cast yeah. them. What do you have? There. You don't have anybody in Hollywood that looks like these guys. <laughs> these are Central Casting. If I'm doing a movie, I pick you, General Mattis. Vice President Pence, he's a real talent, a real guy. And he is Central Casting. Do we agree? Central Casting. Our NRCC chair, Tom Emmer. This guy's like. Central casting. You couldn't pick a better guy in Hollywood. There's no actor. And he's central casting. Look at that guy. Central casting. Judge Kavanaugh, who's central casting. Everyone is central casting. Central casting. <laughs> Glasses. Head. Boom. He owns a hotel. Where is he? He's like central casting for ownership of a hotel. You talk central casting? These guys, you couldn't. I mean, it's incredible. They had a master sergeant there. I could take him right now. Bring him to Hollywood. Make a military movie, and he's the star of the movie. That happened once before, you know. People who work with government agencies like the CIA know the power of Hollywood entertainment and use it for control. Psychological Operations, PSYOPs for short, have their own divisions in the U.S. military and are used by agencies to manipulate what you know. Good evening, I'm Ron Burgundy. Entertainment, news, and media are the front lines of the new war. A fifth-generation war of perceptions. How agencies and governments maintain power and control of you. How do I know this? I trained with the NSA in the same underground bunker in Hawaii where Snowden was. My career accelerated through a lengthy list of roles and assignments in privatized intelligence. So much talent. Well, welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. I thought I'd open it up just to annotate just how big of a circus this is. A massive circus. Welcome. Welcome to all those they can see. Welcome to all those that have been seeing what has been happening. Like I've said, you just have to listen to your president. That's it. That is all you need to do. He tells you everything you need to know. And like I said, all you have to do is be patient. Patient. <laughs> and this is coming from one of the most unpatient people you will ever meet. Oh boy, oh boy. Like I said, to one formidable, I guess, he was thrown in the front to try to tackle me. All he did was maim my name, but he doesn't own it. It's mine. And what did I tell him? Hey, Wayne, if you want a circus, I've got monkeys. Unfortunately, he never got to 
participate in the full show I wanted because, well, he decided to take his own life. He didn't like the circus that was planned for him. Ringleaders, masters of deception. Ha. But what happens to those ringleaders? Those ringleaders need sponsors and they need money. And oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. There is so much we should talk about. But aside from saying you all knew, you just didn't know know it yet. Let's take a look at what's going on. Let's just find out what this all is. Because today, we're really going to enjoy this show. Because it's talking about the show. The show you've been watching. The show you've been participating in. Unknowingly, of course. But don't worry. It's all coming to the surface. Just be a little bit more patient. You still need a few more people to get on board. So the question one should ask is, wait, Tori, enjoy the show. Huh. Very interesting that now all of this is coming out. Remember, we've always talked about it. Isn't it funny how they find all these people to act and play the role? Well, it's a banana republic, right? And how are you Wait doing today? today? No, 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 no. Okay. Great. Great. My, My name's, name's Julie. Julie. Let, Let me know if there's anything I can help you with. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Hello. How are you doing today? You know what? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you for asking. <sighs> That's awesome. <laughs> Listen, we've got some really good sales here today. I think you should check them out. I appreciate that. Okay. I will. Okay. okay. Hi. How are you doing today? Just looking. Thanks. But how are you doing today? Just looking. Thanks. I know, but I asked you how you were doing today. Right. That's when I said, I'm just looking. Okay. Um, okay, you see the guy over there in chinos? Yeah, I see him. How's he doing? I don't know. Wait a minute. You don't know how he's doing? No, I have absolutely no idea. Well... You asked him, didn't you? Well, of course I asked him. I'm not an amateur. Okay. okay, okay, don't get panicky, okay, Julie? Man, this is unbelievable. Let me see if I can talk to this guy. I don't like this. Jen, I'm coming with you. <laughs> Hi there. How, how are you doing today? Where are your changing rooms? Uh, right over there. So you're doing okay then, right? I'm going to go try these pants on. Sir? So, how's he doing? I, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how he's doing. He's like an iceberg. Is it me? Is it me? Am I doing something wrong? Pull yourself together. But I don't know how he's doing. Why won't he tell us how he's doing? That's it. We're going to level five containment situation. We've got a level five situation down here. Thank you. He's on his way. Oh, oh. Oh. What's going on here? What's the problem? Gary, 
Thank God you're here. There's a customer in the stall and we don't know how he's doing. Son of a bitch. All right, I'm gonna need some coffee. Here. <clears throat> Which stall? Here? Yeah? <clears throat> Sir, I'm the manager here at Banana Republic. I just want to ask you a question. How are you doing today? I'm trying out pets. Hey! Sir, I don't think you understood my question. I asked, how are you doing? What does it matter? I'm trying on your stupid pants. All right, you want to play hard? We can play hard. What are you talking about? Hey! I asked you to be cool. Big, I'm going to be cool. You ready to talk to me, huh? Now I'm going to ask you one more time. How are you doing, huh? How are you doing? I'm fine. Everything's okay, people. He's doing fine. All right, well, that's great, sir. I'd like you to remind you that this weekend we're having a wonderful sale on chinos and sweater vests. Hey, thanks. All right, you enjoy your day here at Banana Republic. You too. Gary, that was so great. Thanks. They don't, they don't pay, pay me, me 615 an, an hour for, for doing, doing nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, let's get back to folding. Okay. What a great Banana Republic. Right? That's what's humorous right now. Right? Banana Republic. You know what's funny? I'm going to take you back to January. No, actually to November. As you know, Millie and I uh, and Gavin were in D.C. after the elections. The third day I was there, I got a phone call from a guy named Sam Faddis. Very interesting. Met with a couple of people. <laughs> All former intelligence, of course. Hey, Sam, remember when I told you I'm not on nobody's script? I am the script writer. He's like, well, when you have something you can share, let me know. Tony Shaver knows that too. What script you on? In fact, someone actually asked Millie, what role are you here to play? What script are you on? Interesting. You see, people need to see what the problem is. Everyone's on the script. Every single one of them. What script are you on? Seriously, dude, I'm the script writer of my own life. Every single one of them had a role to play. And all of them had no idea where Millie came from, where I came from. No one had any idea. As if they can get into the writer's room. Get out of here. The ultimate writer, of course, is God, none other, right? He's not only written this, he's planned this, he's made this. Everything he thinks of, he does to save mankind. Don't, don't you think? So then why would anyone take any script and play a role? Very interesting. Central casting. What is central casting? Well, there's actually a video for that. Let's see what central casting is, basically. Cast it as a background actor for a new show. So for those that don't know, central casting is a LA-based company that helps cast background actors for different shows, movies, 
commercials, etc. And if you're interested in just making some more money, or if you're actually wanting to get into acting, signing up for Central Casting is a really great way to get started. With Central Casting, you can also get your pets involved and your cars involved. If you have unique cars or a dog that you'd like to have on camera, so that's definitely an option. About a month ago, I signed up for Central Casting um, to see different sets, to kind of make some more money, background acting, and kind of see what it was all about. It's very simple. The sign-up process has been simplified since how it used to be a long time ago. Um, actually, not a long time ago, a couple months ago. My friends used to say that they had to go at five in the morning, wait in line for hours, and maybe they would get in and get signed up. But now, you just go online and you have to sign up and register for a date. And those spots fill out really quickly, but if you time it right, then you can sign up and you wait in line, you go in, you do your paperwork, they kind of tell you a little bit about what central casting is and what to expect as an actor. They take your headshot and then once you're done, you are ready to start applying for background gigs. If you wanna know more about that whole sign-up process, go check out my blog post in the description. But now I'm gonna talk about my experience getting casted on a show. So soon after signing up, I received a text from a casting director asking if I was available for a few days for a new show. Um, they told me the name of the show and the days that they needed me and I just had to reply yes or no. So once I said yes, they confirmed me for the show and they sent me this code so I could enter it on their website and call a number so I can get all the details that I needed. This includes your call time, uh, your wardrobe, the location, and all the information that you'll need to go to set and be prepared. So I can't really tell you a whole lot about the show and the details behind it, but I can say that I was a detainee for a prison um, and they asked me to come in with no makeup, my hair very natural, wearing like old raggedy clothes, um, as if I was in prison for a while or was about to be admitted to prison. Um, when I got there, they decided to give me prison clothing. So I was wearing like a blue jumper and like sandals and white socks and all that stuff. Um, I went through hair and makeup, which was very minimal. They just wanted to make sure I looked super natural and like I've been in prison. <laughs> After that, they took us to set, which was a real prison, and we were just waiting for the shots to get set up and for them to place us. And most of the time, we were being placed in bunks of actual prison inmates. And it was a really cool experience. It's for a new show um, and it has a really amazing crew and cast. And so to be a part of that, even just in the background, was really cool for me. So I know I can't really talk a whole lot about the show, so that's unfortunately where I have to end kind of my experience on set. But once the show is released and picked up, um, I'll definitely share in my blog post the episodes that I was in so you guys can go check them out if you're interested. The, the thing, thing is, though, though, that I've heard from a lot of people that I worked with. So central casting, background actors, you can put your puppy in there. If they need something for, I don't know, maybe a riot or, uh, you know, maybe they need a congresswoman, congressman, senator, governor, general, I don't know. CIA director, whatever it is, they can cast it. You know, it's kind of like the movie, uh, was it Gladiator? 
who's that actor with that scar on his lip? Perfect casting for a villain. Handsome, but vicious. It's all interesting. Well, as you can understand, this is all a show. So someone would say this is a show, but with real repercussions. Well, here's the fun part. See, it's not like they take their lines and they're told what to say. See, at first, you're an eager actor. You want to get socially involved. You want to get your art out there, right? Or you think you're really good looking. So you go to Hollywood and, you know, they groom you, rape you maybe, right? That's how they work. And uh, they find out everything there is to know about you. See, I've said this before that physiognomy is is a no-no as a study, but it's actually very accurate. It's being able to learn the qualities of a person from their face. Unfortunately, many people have very static faces. And this is why, you know, there's truth and merit to the fact that within the first split second of being introduced to someone, you may be keen on liking them or not so keen. For me, I have a problem with megalostomia. It is an innate thing that I've had since forever, which is something that has helped me throughout my life. Other people, just seeing someone with a scar on their face in some cultures, they've been told, if you have a scar on your face, you know, in one culture, it's considered you've been marked, stay away. In another one, it means that it is someone that has fought with evil and won both cultures, polar opposites on their interpretation. Everyone has perceptions of that. But we are not talking about scars and color of eyes and color of hair or color of skin. We're talking about mouth shapes, nose, chin, eyes. The shape is everything. The shape tells you who they are. If you're paying attention, it's like a map. So, I would say that after this show, I would highly recommend that you just ponder for a moment and think of all the politicians in office and look at just their face, not the skin color, not the hair color, not the eye color, but the actual face, the structure, the actual structure of their face. And boy, can you see it all. But see, we've learned to ignore our gut. We've learned to stop listening to our instinct because you can't judge a book by its cover. In fact, you can. And it's not to be biased. And this is why people aren't, you know, very keen on talking about this. There are pages within a book, but there is a cover. And the cover usually tells you, usually, not always, tells you exactly what's inside. Usually. If it's a beat up cover, it's been read. It's been tossed about. It's seasoned. Therefore, it's interesting. See, it sounds very biased. 
But it's really not. It's actual science. So looking at someone's face, you can see their soul. Eyes are the windows of the soul. Actually, it's the face. When it's animated, you can see. So all you have to do is pay attention and trust your gut, what it innately tells you when you see someone. If you put their picture, boy, there it is. We've talked about this many, many times. So when you look at the still image, you get one suggestion in your gut of how to interpret someone. Then when you see their face animated, you can see what they are saying. You don't even have to have sound. You can see it. You can actually see it. The frequencies are emitted through every single cell. And the repetition is just by far insane. And the coincidence is, oh boy, oh boy. Now let's pretend that you've been cast for a role. Well, let's say you've been cast for a role as a congresswoman. Just saying. Well, you probably don't know you've been cast. See, someone finds you and they suggest, this is what you must do. Oh, you'd be good at this. And that's more of a subtle casting role. Your face fits the picture, therefore, this is where you go. Ever notice how people that are in the same type of positions have similar features? Ah, so how is it that we're in this position? How is it that we have not seen it? Conditioning, I guess. But now I'd like you to see how these roles are being repeated. It's almost as if evil has been stuck in a groundhog day. See, 17 years ago, they tried, well, they actually did, steal the elections. Central member of causing chaos, Agent Chaos in Pennsylvania and Ohio, was Karl Rove. Boy. 2020, it happened. He stuck his butt in. But today, it's even more apparent. Eight years ago, Karl Rove was in the center of the storm. Two hurricanes were going to cross over Florida. Two of them. And so ironically, it is it again today. It almost feels like the mathematical loop we've talked about before. Four, two, one. 3x plus one. Four, two, one. When does that problem actually get solved? Huh. It gets solved when you start writing the script. None of this actually has any impact. Yes, you feel it does, but it really does not. As I've said, evil has no creativity. Evil cannot create. It simply emulates. But good can. Good can change everything around it, and it all has to do with what it is. Now, one thing that I've been hunkering down and repeating, 
is everybody always tells you who they are. And everybody always pulls their own pants down. Well, let's have a reminder of some really interesting discussions that were had with a guy that went to jail and who they suggested should run for president and everyone was on board. Seemed like a banana republic then, remember? On March 19, 2019, Michael Avenatti arrives in New York and meets with lawyers at Boyce Schiller, the counsel for Nike. I will cut straight to the chase, Avenatti says, according to notes taken by one of the firm's associates. I represent a whistleblower who has information that Nike directed him to make payments to the number one pick in last year's draft. Avenatti demands $1.5 million for his client and an unspecified amount for himself to perform an internal investigation of alleged corruption at Nike. It's not going to be cheap. He warns. The next day, Avenatti calls. Meeting went great, fantastic. What he didn't know was Boy Schiller had called the Department of Justice. You have to understand that Boy Schiller has lawyers who can pick up the phone and talk to the Attorney General or the Director of the FBI. The next day, when the parties talk on the phone, FBI agents are listening and recording. I'm not around with this, and I'm not continuing to play games. It's clear from Michael Avenatti's demeanor, the way he's talking to these lawyers, that he thinks he's holding all the cards. You guys know enough now to know you got a serious problem, and it's worth more in exposure to me to just blow the lid on this thing. A few million dollars doesn't move the needle for me. Remember, that was the guy that everyone wanted to run against President Trump. Remember? Remember? Let me remind you. Uh, let me remind you. Hold on. Let me remind you how everyone said, we should actually run you. And he was considering running for president. Isn't that incredible? And, and none other than obviously, oh, you know, I should play that video. Let me show you someone who's uh, very, oh, gosh darn it. I don't have it on this computer. Well, that'll be a story for another time then. It'll come. It's fine. I, it's, it's old footage. I need to pull that out. But what's interesting is, is that CNN pushed him and said he should run for president. Brings me to... Michael Avenatti. He doesn't have much of a political record, but he, he does, does know his way around a TV studio. And the other day, he went into the liberal lion's den of Tucker Carlson Tonight, a show that's been calling him a creepy porn lawyer for months now. Before the interview, Tucker claimed he would be respectful. We've invited him on the show many times to talk about his plans, but he's always declined until tonight. He's now agreed to appear on our set, provided we give him time to state his case, and we're, of course, happy to do that. In the past, he's also demanded that we stop referring to him by a certain unflattering nickname. And we haven't agreed to that demand, but tonight is a gesture of goodwill. We will not use that nickname. And then for the next 12 minutes, Tucker's show did use that nickname uh, in all of the banners on screen. You'll see them here. Stormy's lawyer as creepy porn president. 
Avenatti turned it around on Carlson like this. Why is it that you don't call Donald Trump the creepy porn president? He's the one that had sex with a four-month-old son at home with my client without a condom. After he got off set, Avenatti called Tucker's show Trash TV. So why did he show up there in the first place? Michael Avenatti is here now to tell us why. Michael, many Democrats say no to Fox's interview requests. Many 2020 hopefuls. So I'm curious, why did you say yes? Well, Brian, if you're going to be a fighter and you're going to fight for the future of this country and lead the Democratic Party, then you can't be ducking fights. And frankly, sometimes you have to go into the belly of the beast, as they say, uh, and take on some of these individuals, even if they're entirely unprofessional. So look at those faces. Brian Selter, Pillsbury Doughboy. He was cast to be a reporter for CNN. Where is he now? Michael Avenatti was cast to and hired to get Trump. And hey, you look pretty firecracker. Let's make you president too. Now, I want you to understand how central casting works. You don't get a script with letters on it where you read, okay? You don't get a script like that. They know... Usually, with predictive analytics, of course, how you will respond, how submissive you are, and how much you take suggestion, and how compliant you will be in the role that they are putting you in. If you go off off script, you're canceled. If you fail to deliver, you cancel. And if you've had a good run, one season, two, three, four, ten, you're done. Everyone is selected by the ultimate director. He tasks us with our tasks. But see, on the earthly plane, there are people that believe they're gods. And so they decide who they need to cast to mesmerize you and believe that These two individuals on TV, those that you're watching on your screen right now are important and you're not. And you must take direction from them because we've placed them on that pedestal and they will tell you everything you need to know. And anyone else is just rubbish. Let's see how quick this reporter gets the same treatment as Pillsbury Doughboy. Republicans have a good shot at flipping the House, maybe even even the the Senate, Senate, but but President Biden doesn't seem too concerned. 75% of voters say the country is heading in the wrong direction despite the results of last night. What in the next two years do you intend to do differently uh, to change people's uh, opinion of the direction of the country, particularly as you contemplate a run for president in 2024? Nothing. Halberg is District Media Group President and Independent Women's Forum Fellow, and she joins us now. Beverly, when you hear the president say he's going to do nothing to improve the horrific economic status of our country, what goes through your head? What goes through my head is he thought that Election Day was a victory lap that he could take because of the results. But look, while he was having a good day with the press yesterday and did have some reason to, Democrats did do better than expectations. 
he thinks this is about him, and it's not. In addition to 75% of the country being unhappy with the direction of where things are going, you also had people come out and say that we don't want him to run in 2024. Two-thirds of Americans don't want him to. And also, this is a surprising stat. One in five Democrats don't know if he could serve effectively because of his mental capability. So while the president may look at midterms as a rubber stamp approval on how he's run so far, he needs to take a hard look at himself. I think the problem was that Republicans ran on what was wrong and not what they can do to fix it. And that's going to be essential, especially as inflation continues to creep up. Yeah. Yesterday, he was also asked if he was going to run in 2024, given the results. He said it's his intention to do so. But then there's a progressive group that launched a Don't Run Joe campaign in New Hampshire, warning we cannot risk losing in 2024. We shouldn't gamble on Joe Biden's low approval rating. And that smacks the president with a bit of reality. Uh, he may be happy about the uh, about what happened in the midterms, uh, but he is still very unpopular, even within his own party. Very unpopular. And this is something Democrats are going to have to really wrestle and figure out whether or not they're going to come behind him. And look, one of the things the president did yesterday as well is he's already pointing out his opponents. He coined them the Ron and Don show. I kind of like that. I think it's pretty catchy. But he's already trying to point out that there's going to be some infighting among Republicans as well. I think Ron DeSantis is going to run. And Donald Trump has a big announcement next week. And he's already been bashing Ron DeSantis, even coming out on True Social yesterday saying that he got 1.1 more million more votes than Ron DeSantis did in Florida. So I think there is going to be a big show on the Republican side. And I think President Biden is hoping he can point to that conflict to pull some of the heat away from himself. Beverly, in your earlier answer, you mentioned Joe Biden's mental status. Uh, my retort to you is when has that stopped Democrats before, including now? MSNBC host Katie Chur speculating that Pennsylvania Senator-elect John Fetterman could run for president someday. Listen to this. Fetterman as a nominee at some point for president, um, I know there's some variables, obviously. <laughs> what he did in the, in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump, I mean, it just makes, it makes you wonder. I mean- First of all, I want you to look at her body language. Her arms are crossed. She doesn't really want to say that. But she's told that she must float that. It's even... It is so ridiculous, but there's a reason for this. While all of us laugh and some of the left is like, oh, yeah, we should totally get someone that had a stroke and can't think, has aphasia, and we'll probably never see. I mean, Biden did the whole basement strategy coming out in his little holographic boxes and cages and plexiglass. We could do this, but that's not the reason. What they're looking at is and what they're pointing at, so you learn their language, is, hey, guys, we need to cast someone. Remember the SNL skit I shared on Telegram about two weeks ago where they were mocking that they can't have Kamala or Pete or Beto or or Joe run? They're just like, no, we can't use, we need fresh blood. That is what they were signaling. We need someone. We need someone. And you know what they're going to do? They're creating a Reagan because they don't have a real Reagan. They're going to create one. And you guessed it. And you're seeing it. It's fascinating. Listen to the rest of this so you can pay attention a little bit better, a little bit better to what's happening. Do not feel distressed. The best is yet to come. Just enjoy the shit show for now. About his future. Two questions, Beverly. One, what the? And two. 
shoot, doesn't this prove that Democrats will literally overlook anything in their quest for power, including the mental capacity of their candidates, first with Joe Biden and second with potentially John Fetterman? Yeah, I'm wondering if the COVID wardrobe of casual leisure wear has prepared people for a hoodie as a president. I'm not quite sure about that. I think a lot of people have wondered what happened in Pennsylvania. But one of the things I think we could point to is there were so many early votes that were cast in that state way before the debate happened that he had between um, he and also Oz, Homemet Oz in that campaign. So I think the early votes change things, but I also think it does point to that many Democrats are just going to vote for the D. It doesn't matter who it is. They don't want Republicans. And I think it shows how polarized our society is. But I'm hopeful that as we continue with elections and hopefully debates will continue, debates do matter so much. And as the economy continues to be a major issue, that people will vote for candidates who can really help their pocketbook and help other areas of life. I don't see, I don't don't see Fetterman making a run for president, but who knows? I also didn't think he could win the Senate. Yeah, there was a lot of ticket splitting on the Republican side, too, too. Uh, between, between mastery. She didn't think that he would win. Really? You didn't think that they would steal it? Get out of here. We all know it was stolen. Done. We all know the federal government is running our elections. Done. We all know this is a fact. And all of us feel handicapped. Like, OK, we know this. We know their names. We're no, we know how they do it. How do we stop it? Well. You know, the courts are the only way that we can fight and other people are fighting. But, you know, (laughs) what's interesting is the wild cards, the ones that don't have a script, the ones that are writing their own script, you know, like you and me. We all write our own stories. And as long as we decide that we are taking over, then it's game over. Now, A while back, I did tell you it was very interesting that I saw Gavin Newsom advertisements in Florida, and I believe they were in Texas, too. (laughs) I mean, it's Hollywood, right? Isn't it? But let's take a little bit of a lesson. Let's take a little hiatus and learn. Uh, You know, I sign up to this channel, and I urge all of you to. This guy is awesome. The channel is is. We are English, or I swear English. Here we go. Hi there, students. Sanctimonious. An adjective. Sanctimoniously, the adverb. Sanctimoniousness, the noun. Okay, if you describe somebody as sanctimonious, you're saying they are acting as if they are morally better than other people. They're making a false show of being pious and and religious and following the rules absolutely. And they're much better at following the rules than other people. Holier than thou are self-righteous. Okay, notice all of these words are critical and disapproving, yeah? They're saying that this person is um, trying to show that they're better than other people, yeah? This sanct- this guy is so sanctimonious, yeah? He's uh, making a show of being morally better. He's being hypocritically 
pious, hypocritically religious, following the rules absolutely. So whenever the boss is around, my work uh, companion is so sanctimonious. He follows the rules absolutely and makes it clear that the boss can see that he's following the rules that he should be following. But the second the bo boss is out of the office, he cuts all the corners and does things as quickly as possible. Yeah, so he's just making a show in front of the boss, a show of sanctimoniousness that he's better than everyone else because he always follows the rules to the letter. Yeah, so hypocritically pious, hypocritically devout. He's a sanctimonious moralist. Um, the Victorians, I think, were particularly sanctimonious. They always went to church and they were always doing good charitable deeds. And then in the back they were uh, raping their servants and mistreating people when they couldn't be seen. Okay, so sanctimonious, a public show of being a morally good person. The sanctimonious politician was pr later proven to be a hypocrite. Yeah, he's holier than thou. He's a Pharisee. Yeah, smug and self-satisfied. Yeah, unctuous as well. Yeah, Tartuffian. That's quite a good one. Yeah, he writes sanctimonious rubbish. He writes about how he always does the right thing. Um, he's appearing full of goodness and being a really good person. But later, what is the truth is a very different question. Okay, so acting as if they're morally better, showing people that you are morally better and more religious. Um, to pe yes, uh, he he comes over as extremely sanctimonious, but he really does actually believe what he says, and he follows his rules. Yeah, you know how people are always uh, making rules for other people. It's got to be done like this. It should be done like that. Um, but normally they're sanctimonious because they don't follow their own rules. Um, but somebody who walk, who talks the talk and walks the walk, that's not sanctimonious. People who talk the talk but don't walk the walk, that is sanctimonious. Um, notice this word is very critical. He's a sanctimonious son of a... Um, okay, how formal is this? I think I'd probably give this a six maybe even a 6.5. I think you could just about use this in an informal conversation. Um, what else would I say informally? Holier than thou is probably slightly less formal, but sounds rather posh. Yeah, he's so sanctimonious about things. Um, and then what about 
origin? Well, this comes uh, from, well, sanctimony. There's a French word, sanctimoine, which comes from Latin, sanctimonia, sacredness, purity, chastity, from sanctus, holy, and monia, um, the an action or the result of an action. Yeah, so if somebody is sanctimonious, this is um, a hypocritical show of excess piety, but it's just an affectation of a public show. Yeah, phony. Yeah, phony is quite a good word as well. So there you go, sanctimonious, holier than thou. Yeah, he the um, he's so sanctimonious about his English. Uh, or the English of others, even though he makes mistakes the whole time. Enough. If you enjoyed the video, give it a rating, subscribe to my channel, and I'll see you soon. Now, I was just thinking, the British are really sanctimonious about languages. You really, really must learn languages. They're, They're really, really good for you. But the British never learn languages. They are, no, they are, they are. And let's talk about language. Let's talk about something called double speak, and you got caught. Huh. You want to do that? Who wants to do let's let's talk about double speak and who got caught? Oh wait. Oh wait. I really want to see the chat. And I know there's a delay, so I'm just gonna give it a bit. Who wants to talk double speak? I don't want to get into double speak and catch some pants down. Who wants that? Do you guys want that? You want that? Okay. Well, let's go to the pertinent news today and let's pull some pants down. Let's go. All right, so first of all, let me get this video ready before I get into, oh, darn it. Did it not download? Let's see. There we go. Save. And make it a little bit easier. I got to have it all ready for you because it's going to be fun. Huh. It's not wanting to do this for me. Hold on a second. Give me a second. You know, there's been a lot of talk about 2020. <laughs> Oops, I gave that one away, didn't I? But give me a second. All right. Oops. Oops. All right. Let me just keep that there. And let's share screen. Let's look at what the news are telling us. Let's, let's look at what doublespeak is. And for those that are listening, of course, I will read. In La Voce de New York, Roger Stone's advice to Ron DeSantis is don't run against Donald Trump. Stone maintains that running against the former president would be an act of treachery and ingratitude. Former Trump advisor Roger Stone wants to give Florida Governor Ron DeSantis a piece of advice to stay out of the running of the 2024 presidential election. According to Stone, to run against Trump in 2024 would amount to uh, treachery and ingratitude. Stone posted his cautionary message to DeSantis on Telegram on Wednesday, calling the governor Rond and Sanctimonious. Stone. <laughs> and he says, if Governor Ron DeSantis challenges that real Donald Trump, who's made it clear that he will be a candidate in 2024, it would be the most stunning act of ingratitude in the history of American politics, Stone wrote. Interesting. Interesting. So then, let's look at this. My candidate, Donald J. Trump. There's no question he would be our strongest candidate, but three years in American politics is a lifetime. 
There's a number of others who I think would be excellent as candidates for president. I've suggested that we perhaps try to draft General Michael Flynn. Now, General Michael Flynn is not a politician. I have no indication that he's interested in running for president. Uh, The other person I really like is Governor Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has done a phenomenal job in my home state of Florida, not only on COVID-19, where we're finally rid of these ridiculous masks that really do nothing. He's also been excellent on election law reform and taking on the censorship of big tech. Now, those who say, how about a Trump-DeSantis ticket, don't understand the Electoral College rules. Were we to nominate two men or two people from Florida, we would not be allowed to count the 20. This sucks because I want you guys to see it because I've got a couple clips and I'm really trying to get it so that you can see it. And it's not being my friend. You need to see it. It's almost like as the wind blows here, there, everywhere, whatever benefits me, I will say. So one has to ask, Could he claim, oh, well, I'm just doing that to plant disinformation. Really? Are you sure you're doing that? Because it doesn't really feel like that. It feels like you're totally on board. You know what? Give me a second. Give me one second. Let's get this this done. I need to convert it to an MP4 because it's not playing. But let's just go into the flippy floppy portion, okay? I've got another one for you. Here we go. Now, now let's, let's be candid. I'm 100% for Donald Trump, and he knows it. I spoke to him day before yesterday. Spoke to him again yesterday. But if for some reason the president elects not to run, then I think we must galvanize and we must surround and lift up the strongest candidate we can who will galvanize the America first agenda and mobilize that majority within the Republican priories. I'm not sure who that is yet, but I'll tell you this. I'm going to go out and try to draft General Michael Flynn. And personally, I think a Flynn DeSantis ticket would sweep America. You know, there's been a lot of talk about 2024. Let me be very clear. My candidate, Donald J. Trump. There's no question he would be our strongest candidate, but three years in American politics is a lifetime. There's a number of others who I think would be excellent as candidates for president. I've suggested that we perhaps try to draft General Michael Flynn. Now, General Michael Flynn is not a politician. I have no indication that he's interested in running for president. Uh, The other person I really like is Governor Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has done a phenomenal job in my home state of Florida, not only on COVID-19, where we're finally rid of these ridiculous masks that really do nothing. He's also been excellent on election law reform and taking on the censorship of big tech. Now, those who say, how about a Trump-DeSantis ticket, don't understand the Electoral College rules. Were we to nominate two men or two people from Florida, we would not be allowed to count the 27 electoral votes of Florida in the Electoral College. And in a close race, that would be dangerous. I'm for Donald Trump. He's my first choice. But if in the end he doesn't run, 
and he doesn't run because he's just tired of the BS because they're going to beat him up in New York, as I've said, well, then I've been very candid. We need to draft General Michael Flynn. I don't have any inside knowledge. I don't know that the that the general's interested in running for president. I don't think he's interested in public office. But I do think he might be persuaded that it's his duty to save this country. And I think he's the one person who could rally the the America first agenda and stave off a takeover by the people Donald Trump essentially executed a hostile takeover against when he was nominated in 2016. So interesting. You know, you remember when Reagan ran? Everyone loved Reagan, Democrats and Republicans. And the thing is, the Democrats embraced him um, more so after he was shot because Bush was in charge, of course. And so one would have to wonder, did Roger Stone do that to plant the seed or is he playing a role? Or is he just upset that his friend was angry with him? Or was he upset that he wasn't entitled to a full pardon right away and has been ousted? I mean, there could be many things, many, many things. We don't know. But when you want to find the source, you look. And as you see, it's turning into a Reagan thing so they can remove Donald J. Trump. Pay attention. Like well, DeSantis, DeSantis wouldn't, wouldn't be here, but for him and all these people are out saying, oh, it's DeSantis' party. But unfortunately for him, it looks like it's DeSantis' party, right? With Florida Governor Ron DeSantis topping Donald Trump and Republican presidential straw polls, the verbal exchanges are growing. I think he would drop that. And if I faced him, I'd beat him like I would beat everyone else, frankly. Trump henchman Roger Stone is adding this. The Trump revolution has just begun. We're not. We're just warming up. But with the prospects of a Trump-DeSantis battle heating up, more attention is coming to DeSantis's Florida gubernatorial re-election campaign in 2022, a crucial step for a potential DeSantis presidential campaign two years later. And Roger Stone is now threatening to kneecap DeSantis in 2022 from the right. Quote, if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis does not order an audit of the 2020 election to expose the fact there are over one million phantom voters in the Florida voter rolls in the Sunshine State, I may be forced to seek the Libertarian Party nomination for Governor of Florida in 2022. Trump won Florida by a wide margin, and DeSantis himself has noted there was an automatic audit in the state in 2020 that found the Florida vote was accurate. Quote, it passed with flying colors. But Roger Stone is notoriously ruthless and unpredictable, alternatively praising and condemning DeSantis in the same breath. To my surprise, given his background as a Yale graduate and his opposition to President Donald Trump in 2016, Ron DeSantis has turned out to be an excellent governor, certainly superior to Rick Scott and much, much better than Charlie Crist. But the Democrat Crist is running again for governor in 2022. And if Stone runs as a libertarian, it could split the votes with DeSantis on the right, causing DeSantis to lose his reelection and give Crist a victory. And that would be fatal to DeSantis for a presidential campaign. Hello, everybody. I'm David Schuster, and thanks for joining us. Perhaps the abbreviated way to think about Roger Stone's pressure on Ron DeSantis is that Stone does not think DeSantis is crazy enough. And according to Trump's henchman, DeSantis needs to show more fealty and respect to Donald Trump. Somehow conducting another audit of the Florida vote in 2020 that Trump won would help DeSantis prove that fealty to Trump. I know, 
It's bizarre, but this is the world of Roger Stone and the right-wing nutcases that support Donald Trump. They are still convinced, without any evidence, there was widespread voting fraud across the United States that brought down Trump's numbers even in states he won. And promoting that the election was fraudulent everywhere, the big lie, that is what the Trumpsters are demanding. If you're a governor who wants to maintain your current standing among Republicans, never mind your political future. Ron DeSantis has largely ignored Roger Stone's threats and continues to say there should not be another audit in Florida of the 2020 election results. And so, the tensions between Trumpsters and DeSantis are growing. And a 2022 proxy war involving a wild man like Roger Stone is on the horizon. Well, well, well. So let's think of it this way. There's two things that could be happening here. Roger Stone demanded Alex Jones fire Millie because she was off script. Hmm? And he's conducting a script, see, putting the seeds in. I mean, there can't be a Trump-Flynn ticket because Flynn moved to Florida and Trump is in Florida. And, well, there you go. I guess? Maybe? Don't know. Does that apply? Who knows? I mean, Stone can always call me and clear the air. Because sometimes there's bigger scripts in play than what you think. See, I want you guys to pay attention. Pay very close attention. Sometimes, if you look far back in history, and I think that quote was actually put in the movie, Enjoy the Show, the farther back you can see, well, look and learn about, the further forward you can predict. Now, I have talked about the Von Jewel brothers many, many times, and Well, they're going to be coming into play very soon. I mean, they should have been out in the open already. And that is something that President Trump can easily garner. But you know what would be incredible? To say, GOP, you want DeSantis? You can have him. You can have a DeSantis Pompeo ticket. The people will side with President Trump. See, the left is waking up a lot faster than the right. The right is too busy infighting. The right is too busy sticking to the script. See, when I talked about DeSantis in a very slanted way a while back, all those influencers on the right told me, oh, you're such a shill. He's amazing. He's doing this. He's doing that. (laughs) And now they're all like, yeah, DeSantis, you want it? And it's like, wait a minute. I think we were here a year ago (laughs) where all of you were talking smack about me saying that. And now you all can suddenly see, oh, let me guess. You're on a new script now. Or you were given instructions, right? You see, enjoy the show is very necessary for people to see and digest. Because once you understand what was shown to you in a very subtle fashion, then they can't influence you. See, a script, as I said, is not a paper document that you get. They nudge you. 
they learn everything there is to know about you. And you know what the funny thing is, is that these people use the intelligence community. There was a guy who I put on Telegram who was visited by DHS in regards to going to the school about masks, right? Didn't I go to the school about masks? No one came and knocked on my door, probably because I'm already under surveillance. But we did it the right way. We didn't just go and complain. What did we do? We found lawsuits. We're peaceful. We're not on a script. We aren't easily influenced. We, the people, are very influenced by what we hear. And this is why I say, don't trust anything I say. (laughs) Because I use disinformation for cover too. But the fact is, truth is truth. And that you can separate. And we're at this point where we're realizing that everyone's on a script. They just don't have the paperwork. Because see, the people like that agent that knocked on that guy's door and said to him, look, we know everything about you. Don't tell us anything. We've done our homework. You don't have to talk to us. What do they mean by that? Well, they've seen his text messages, his emails, his likes, dislikes, what he watches, probably turned on his cameras in his house from his TV and computers and Alexas and you name it. They already know. They've gotten your financials so they know what you buy and where you go supermarket shopping, what your indulgences are, how much you spend. So everything, everything that you have online, they already have. So all it takes is a good little nudge, a suggestion, a suggestion, and they will constantly suggest things until something ticks. Until something makes sense to you and you're like, yeah, that sounds about right. And suddenly, you're on a script. Knowingly, unknowingly, willingly, unwillingly. I mean, you've, you've got to be able to discern that. So when I tell you that they're all acting and this is all a show, these are strings that are invisible. They use your own shadow to direct you in the direction that they want you to go. And this is fact. You're seeing it right before your eyes. This is why I said the most important thing is to trust your gut. Trust your gut. So think about it. This guy gets visited by DHS. And the first thing he does is make a video and put it out on TikTok. Maybe that was the script he needed to do. Maybe that is what he needed to do. Maybe that is the response they were expecting. The script is real. The problem is nobody knows who's writing that script. Well, I would say it's more a generalized script. You know how we say aim for the sun to get to the moon? Kind of like that. They've got their boundaries and they push it in there. And I'll tell you this. As I was watching yesterday, I got all of the video in order for J6. From the beginning of the story, the the peak, the explanation, and the end. And as I was going through it, so many times I've seen this footage, I realized more and more just how scripted it was and how evident it was. So I urge you all to take a glass of milk and some cookies Or while you're pondering, where am I getting my turkey this year? Maybe I should go to an Amish farm before they raid them all soon. You sit down and watch it and take a 40,000 foot view. Pause it. Think about it. And like I said, 
pertaining to my Roger Stone postings just earlier, the little video clips that you heard, there's many explanations, but I can tell you one thing. He does not like people that cannot be controlled. See, why do people hate people that don't take orders? Why do people hate people that aren't on a script? Hmm. How many directors are in this film that you're participating in watching? It doesn't matter. Whoever they are, they lose. They absolutely lose. Because God is always in control. He's the ultimate director. And he wins. Regardless. And the more you understand that, the more you'll see just how everything is going to be okay. Now, as you can see, Chad Prather, the Cernovichs, and all these other itches, right, are coming out with, oh, you know, um, Trump is this and Trump is that. I mean, even the people that you thought were amazing said things that you wouldn't believe. You're just like, wait a minute, did she just say that? I don't know. I think maybe you guys missed this. So let me see if I could find it. Hold on. A second. I'm going to find the exact moment rather than us watch the whole thing because I want to get into the next topic. I'm trying to look through the script. It's like the transcript. I'm just speed reading right now. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Because I wasn't expecting to put this on, but I think it's important that we slide it in. Conversation has come to that point. So it's quite fascinating. Do I have to like go through the whole thing? Gosh darn it. Why can't? Really? So it's not finding it. Yeah, Christy Noam apparently slammed Joe Biden. Ah, You know, it's okay. It is what it is. We'll leave it alone. It is what it is. I'm going to leave it alone for now. It wasn't meant to be, so I'll just leave it. Okay. We'll leave that alone for now. Before we get into the next segment of the show, though, I need to show you this clip. Christy Noam had a really good speech. But it's important that you see this. You're Reagan in the making, but without the Reagan. Reagan was a good guy, but they knew they already had a plan to take him out. I go to a lot of battlegrounds. Down, 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 down the stretch. Is, is there, any, is there was, any evidence that embracing him was helpful? No, it, it doesn't look like either thing has mattered. We are in our polarized environment. I mean, one of the things that we discussed this internally, how powerful is polarization? Is it a wave preventer? And I think we're seeing tonight, I mean, everything's dug in. And look, here's the, here's the downside of polarization. And this I discovered in Wisconsin. Like, why is Wisconsin so polarized all the time? Neither party ever loses. I had to pause that. Have they talked about the word polarization before? I think we've been using this word for a while, the era of tribalism, polarizing. And suddenly the media is picking up on that because they're like, okay, people are receptive to this. Let's go. Isn't it interesting? How they've decided to stop fighting, but emulating. Emulate this. It's a virtual middle finger. You see, you have to be paying attention to how they operate. Pay attention to how they operate. Because the minute they get clued up in understanding and emulating, well, we're way ahead of the game. 
I want you to listen. Polarization, polarization. No one's ever used that. We're the only people that have used that. We haven't heard it from the right. We haven't heard it from the left. And now they are bringing it up. And you should ask yourself, why? By enough enough to look look at the mirror and and say, oh, maybe I ought to change things. And tonight, it looks like we're headed to something where neither party is going to sit there and say, oh, Time for a reckoning. Yeah, right. because nobody there. There's just too many factions that refuse to have it. I also want to make one more Trump point. Trump's candidate in in, in, in uh, Arizona, Blake Masters, underperforming. Oz, Trump's back candidate, underperforming. Walker, underperforming. Kemp in Georgia. Bulldog, underperforming. Sununu in New Hampshire. Do you sense a pattern here? Mm. Right. I mean, you know, in the fight between Mitch McConnell and Trump. You know, Mitch McConnell is the one that was trying to get different types of candidates. And, you know, we'll see what happens here. The only candidate they actually really agreed on was Adam Laxalt in Nevada. And yet you have tonight, just in the last couple of hours here, the former president coming out and telling reporters at his campaign event at Mar-a-Lago that is happening tonight that he doesn't think that Mitch McConnell should be the person who leads the caucus in the Senate. This is turning into a disastrous night for Donald Trump and an amazing night for Ron DeSantis because if the only way now Republicans grab the House is thanks to Ron DeSantis' new map map that that he jammed jammed in in, even even after after Republicans said, no, 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 no. Aw, isn't that cute? Cuck Todd. Cuck Todd is endorsing Ron DeSantis. So amazing. Now, while we're talking about interesting happenstances, I wanted to talk to you about some realistic numbers. Let's talk numbers. I've always said that I needed 1%. 1% is all it takes. While many don't understand what that means, some do, some have, I want you guys to think. You remember when I said that I was running, right? We all know how, what, when, where, and we're not going to repeat. But I want you guys to see what happened. Eight million voters, I got 1.07% of their vote. Without ever being on the voter rolls, on the, sorry, the voter guides, getting no coverage by the media, nothing. This is statewide. This is in some little county with 2,000 people, Right? I got 1.07% of the whole state. That's over 40,000 people of the voters that voted, which was only about 50% of them, right? Uh, A little bit over 50% voted. What does that tell you? What does that tell the, the, the actual directors of this shit show on all sides? That tells you that all you need is 1% to set some fire under their butts and suddenly they're talking about tribalism and polarization and creating a new Reagan. And then you think to yourself, oh no, then they'll hoodwink us. Not if we got the 1%. If that can happen with a, with a candidate, that has all this garbage going around, all this disinformation, misinformation, and trashing. Imagine if it was someone that didn't have all that trashing. Imagine if it was someone that had bucks, big bucks behind them. Imagine if it was someone that they couldn't attack. They just realized they can't beat Trump. And you're going to be like, Tori, you're just nothing. No, 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 no. Pay attention. People that aren't part of the script can't be factored into the calculations they make of how they win. They can't be 
factored into it. And this is why Millie Weaver was fired. She went off script. Was she ever on a script? Of course, people guide you. It's not like they gave it to her. They just knew how she would respond and how she would act. And that's all. Think of it. Someone who has no money, no platform, right? Suffocated like even the Secretary of State didn't acknowledge that I exist when they were being questioned. Not on any voter guides, right? Still got 1%. That tells them, as goes Ohio, so does the nation, they're screwed. So now you're going to watch the left because they have no one on the left that can make sense. Actually soften the image of DeSantis with the feud between Trump and DeSantis. Look, Trump hates him, so he must be good. See, we don't have any good Democrat candidates. Maybe we'll get Obama to say something. Well, I guess the GOP has DeSantis. Uh You know? (laughs) Oh, man, I can't wait till you get impeached. I can't wait to watch, to watch Clapper and Brennan get perp walk, but I really want Hayden to come. I don't care if he wears a diaper right now. I want him to be perped. Only because he's smug about it. Remember what I talked about yesterday and what we're going to do. I know most of you in the groups are busy, busy, busy. We're going to take that angle and we're going to wreck the system because we already got the 1%. And you must be paying attention to lawsuits that are being filed now. They're making waves and they're terrified. So after this break, I'm going to play a video from a performer that I that actually taught me something. And I want you guys to hear it too. Pretty interesting. Pay attention to the video if you can. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm M-A-I. I am popular. What some people will do, what will some people do for popularity? That's the question. How much of their soul will they sell to be popular? Because, you know, empty people would prefer popularity over peace. So I wanted to share this interview that I saw of Mia that was done with Candace Owens, but a very specific portion of it that was interesting. Because I learned something I didn't know. And this is something that I'm actually researching on the side. I am very grateful for her. I know that Julian Assange admires her too. I do as well. I appreciate her. Please take a listen. When you're towing the line, you can't say hashtag Syrian life matters. A hundred percent. You just cannot. And that's why I was cancelled. So then... If you know that I was at the Super Bowl mm-hmm. 
And I gave the middle finger at the Super Bowl and I was sued for $16 million. So I have the right to talk about the Super Bowl because mm. I was affected by the Super Bowl. Mm. In my personal ex- life and experience, I, I'm coming from a personal uh, place, you know. So I was like, yeah, I went on the Super Bowl and I gave a middle finger and I got sued $16 million, you know. And they said, what do you think of Beyonce putting up the black fist supporting Black Panthers at the Super Bowl. And it was, a, it was a hit job and I didn't know, but the journalist asked me and I said, well, she can do that as a Black woman, but maybe she won't be able to say Syrian life matters, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Pointing out the hypocrisy and the irony. So I was just saying, yeah. yes, that's fine. It's fine because you could be a Black woman in mainstream music And you can say, I am black, which is fine. But I was like, she also supported openly the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Obama campaign. She would not be able to talk about the war in Syria. Mm -hmm. But then the counterattack that I got and the way they counseled me was to say, black people are Muslims too. So how dare you say that? But that just didn't make sense. It never makes any sense. It never makes any sense. I was like, but I know that black people could be Muslims. That's not the point I was making. I was specifically making a point about if you are a mainstream artist who politically funds the campaign of this candidate who's then engaged in a war over here, would they speak out about it? No. What you're saying makes perfect sense. And it's interesting that you, you start this by saying, I probably shouldn't even go there. I just want to say what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's <laughs> just like what you're saying makes sense because you probably sometimes question your own sanity because I sometimes I say something and I'm like, did I just say what I said? Because the headlines are now, have I said something else that I, I have to go back and listen to what I said? And that is the power of the gaslighting machine is that yeah. they start to make you, you, I don't know if I should even say anything at all because no matter what, you lose yeah, so by even opening your mouth. saying you're not black, so you can't speak on it, you know, is another thing that that has happened since then in a wider, um, you know, it's been that argument of you're not this, so you can't talk about it, you know, like if you leave race out of it, you're not a woman, so you can't talk about it, you're not a man, you can't talk about it, you know, like that sort of easy to kind of shut down the thing is, is affected culture in, in how artists work, you know, like I see the, the newer generation suffering with this point. You know, a lot of the people that I work with or come, come across, they always say that, say, oh, but I'm a white male, so I can't touch this subject. You know, they, they say, well, I, I'm a Chinese person, so I have to do this. And I'm a da da da. And that sort of box building, mm-hmm. you know, it's really interesting to me. Just giving people power and, it's, it, it's crap because what's interesting is I'm a black woman and yes, I, so you're I a was black not woman, allowed which is why to I say. To, yeah. Why I wanted to bring it up to be like, yeah. I, you know, having been on this side where you, it, it's very confusing. Like also my dad's book, when he talks about monetary exploitation, he's not talking about monetary exploitation of Indian people specifically. It's like, no, globalization and the globalist system is everyone, you know, includes everyone. So when, when you're past a certain point and you see the picture, 
you cannot define things by race. If one people are oppressed in one place and another person is oppressed in the other place, it's still oppression. And you get to see it like that, mm-hmm. you know. And if you identify the oppressor, which is, which is what the whole BLM thing is, you know, we're discussing oppression. And there's valuable conversations to be had between somebody like me and how the Tamil people who were engaged in an armed struggle, you know, and this, is, this was my response is to say, say if you fast forward some time, where do you go with this? It, it would be a black revolution in America. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the fast forward, the thinking of um, this racial conversation, you know, or, it's, you know, in America, it's not a territorial thing. And it's not an ethnicity thing, but it is a racial thing. But if you get to the extreme end of this conversation, it's a, it's a revolution. It's a struggle. You know, it, it could be an armed struggle. And my dad already thought that and went there in the 70s and set one up and had the army, you know. And then within that, within the Tamils, we had four fractions So we had, you know, four different leaders with their four four different groups, and then they were interfighting. So, so you can have a Candace Owen, you know, the leader of Black Conservatives, or you can have the leader of BLM, whoever the leader is, or Beyonce, the leader of Black people, and they both say, "Okay, we need armed resistance," and that's what it's about. Then I can tell you how it ends, you know. It was a debate that was worth having, mm-hmm. but nobody wanted the debate. The, this cancel, cancel culture thing that where they made me out to be the racist person was not, I felt, you know, I was like, who's at the bottom of it? You know, there's so many different people this could be. So it just, that made me look into it even more, you know, and... And I was like, well, you have this elite class, you know, you have black elites and then you have poor black people in America who are controlled by the same mass media narrative as everybody else, white people and the Hispanics. And, you know, they're all in it together. Like right now, it's confusing because the vice president is Tamil, you know, she's Tamil and black. So it's that's another thing, but we're not allowed to. So we had, diff, you know, four different leaders with their four, four different groups, and then they were interfighting. So, so you can have a Candace Owen, you know, the leader of Black Conservatives, or you can have the leader of BLM, whoever the leader is, or Beyonce, the leader of Black people. And they both say, okay, we need armed resistance, and that's what it's about then I can tell you how it ends. You know, it was a debate that was worth having, Mm -hmm. but nobody wanted the debate. This cancel cancel culture thing that where they made me out to be the racist person was not, I felt, you know, I was like, who's at the bottom of it? You know, there's so many different people this could be. So... It just, that made me look into it even more, you know. And, and I was like, well, 
you have this elite class, you know, you have black elites and then you have poor black people in America who are controlled by the same mass media narrative as everybody else, white people and the Hispanics. And, you know, they're all in it together. Like right now, it's confusing because the vice president is Tamil. You know, she's Tamil and black. So it's, that's... Guys, did you hear that? Tamil Harris is Tamil. You know how they keep saying South Indian. She's Sri Lankan. Tamil. Listen carefully. She's Tamil. And I've, talking about the ta- I've talked about the Tamil Tigers before. Look on Tory said. Hillary Clinton was making so much money by arming them. But what you need to listen to is the atrocities that happened just a couple, uh, a few years ago, almost a decade, more actually, but, and you never heard about it. Pure genocide in modern times. And guess who was Secretary of State? That's right. Hillary Clinton. And, and I was like, well, you have this elite class, you know, you have black elites And then you have poor black people in America who are controlled by the same mass media narrative as everybody else, white people and the Hispanics. And, you know, they're all in it together. Like right now it's confusing because the vice president is Tamil. You know, she's Tamil and black. So it's, that's another thing. But we're not allowed to talk to each other because I'm a Tamil and you're black. And you have to be in your experience and your narratives. And I have to be in my experience and my narrative but we cannot have conversations it's well, kind it's of divisions it's, i mean they just they create all these victim structures and they keep the victims warring at each other and then they keep the people you know and black for example black america obviously just a tool nobody cares about racism in america they made it a thing again because it gave them power and it got what it basically said we're 13 percent of the population that's it 13 percent of the population is black america and so what it allowed them to do was to censor and shut down the rest of the population from speaking I gave them actually the ultimate power, right? They, if you're, unless you are black, you can't speak, right? And then you come to find out they don't really care about black people speaking because at the same time I had to shut up, right? So it's like, oh, wait, sorry. It's not unless you're black. It's um, unless you are black, you, you, you can't speak if you're black, but you have to speak and say this exact same thing, which is basically a script that's being handed to you by the mainstream media. And the people that are controlling that script yeah, are not but while, black. While this happened, what, what happened is we got COVID. So why they... A new script script came out. So while everybody's like, okay, you know, I've got my place and you got your place and da 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 da, and nobody's talking. And then boom, came the new script, which then reapplies to everybody, you know? It's a new script that comes out and it's it's, it's literally like there's somebody sitting above the planet and they just hand a script down and it echoes. Everyone says the same thing. Yeah, so then what people find out is actually poor black people and poor white people and poor everybody else, they're all poor. Mm-hmm. And they're all the same. And they're going through the same thing. And it's, you know, the system's rigged mm-hmm. to basically generate a handful of super rich people at the top. And again, going back to five years ago, is I only know the narrative from the outside, yeah. which is that Obama, who was a black president, bombed and killed, you know, Colonel Gaddafi, who was the head of Libya at the time that was standing up to the dollar, you know, and he got killed. And then 
now Libya in a state of... It's a disaster. It's a well, disaster. It, okay, so it's very similar that like one, you know, the, what, the state of black America right now is a disaster. There's nothing left. You know, I mean, it's every inner, inner city, city community, community has 60%, 60% in, in you know, crime rates. Rate. So pay attention to how Mia is talking about very real issues and Candace is trying to make this about America. And she's trying to deflect by talking about, you know, the issues, the racial issues here when she's talking about atrocities. I want you guys to pay attention to this because this is fascinating. This where police, police won't, won't go. go. Police, police officers, officers resigned. resigned, right? And obviously what that does is that it rises up criminals in its place when there's no order, there's just criminality. And I always knew it was going to lead to more black death and there is more black death because of Black Lives Matter. And on top of that, all the money went to a bunch of transgen- transgendered organizations. So it was sort of this great hoodwinking of the mainstream media and it, it robbed black Americans, in my opinion, of, of our future because that money should have gone into education, which to me is the only way you can really free yourself is to be educated. Where are the schools? Where are the, the scholarships for these children? I mean, sure, you could... Maybe there were a couple of people that were minted as spokespeople for Black Lives Matter. So something else that I wanted to state. About a week or two prior to Candace Owens actually reaching, you know, and having this conversation with Mia, I was sharing the crap out of Mia's videos on Truth and Telegram. And she followed her script, Candace did, and had her on her show. I hope you're paying attention. They hate people that aren't on the script. Um, but I can't, I can't think of how it helped Black America in a single way. It just, it was a, it was a narrative, you know. And the truth is, is Black American children can't read. Um, you know, we're facing a, a serious education crisis. And when you can't read, it further allows the media to pollute your mind. And they tell you what to be upset about. And I, I really do believe that the only true freedom is unlocking your brain and, and seeing how things really are. Yeah, it's about having a lot of positive role models as well. And you're obviously educated and intelligent, but you cannot fully be accepted because of your political views. Mm. Um, You know, but then at the same time, you have the Supreme Court justice, who's also a role model to black women, I guess, who... I don't feel that way. And I think that believing that is part of the problem. Like, you, should, you shouldn't see someone as a role model because of the way they look, right? You should see them as a role model because of the things that they do. And I think we're further divided by this concept that if it looks like you, it's you. Because that's what forces people to defend things they don't believe in. Well, you can't that's what Beyonce as a black woman, even if she says something horribly stupid, because she's Beyonce and she's black and she looks like you. And that was sort of the critique of me when I started exploring Black Lives Matter. It was, how, you know, I see myself in George Floyd. It was this thing that people kept saying. And I sort of come out and I said, why would I see myself in George Floyd? We're both black. Our, you know, our comparisons end there. Well, this He's is an a criminal. He's done this. This is a totally interesting thing that I wanted to talk about is, again, talking about my own experience. So after the documentary came out and, you know, it was very, like, community-driven and it's, like, showing Tamil people, like, here's a Tamil musician who made it with 100 pounds. Like, you can do it as well from the hood. Like, you don't need a big check or whatever to achieve your dream or go outside of the you know, the, the, the normal kind of restrictions you have as an immigrant or a refugee. And 
when that documentary came out, I was approached by loads of Tamil people, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take time to, and also this is post being cancelled by BLM for being anti-black, that you, everyone's forced to go into their own community, you know, like white people have to go into white community and, you know, you're Tamil, so you can only work within the Tamil realm and within the Tamil people. So I was like, I'm going to do that. So you're right. I don't have the right to talk about the Chinese people or, you know, the voiceless people in the Philippines because they don't own the tech. Only Americans own the tech. How do Filipinos get to talk on the tech and tell them, oh, we, there's 100 million people in the Philippines and like millions of them are modern day slaves that get paid less than a dollar a day. You know, where do they get to go and say these stories except via the mouthpiece of the UN, Mm. you know? Apart from this victim narrative that the UN constantly puts out, they cannot have direct conversations about how that works, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to go back into the Tamil community. And meanwhile, Beyonce was making Ivy Park in Sri Lanka, paying people 60p an hour, you know? I didn't know that. Yeah, so then you're like, I'm going to do some philanthropy and give money to the community, build some schools. And the Tamil people that approached me to do that ended up um, kind of scamming me. Which were, which were my own people, mm. you know. So I have, like, a love-hate relationship with my own community, mm. and, I, and I apply that to everybody. Right. I think white people are allowed to have the love-hate relationship with their own because there's good and bad. Well, I just think know, it's good and bad. Within the Tamil community It doesn't even itself. matter if it's in the Tamil community. It's, and this is why I think it's, it's not good to think that you can only speak to people in your own community. That actually empowers the institutions that we're talking about, right? It's, it's, it's mental segregation. I don't need to be a Tamil person to be able to speak on the issue if I'm educated on it, right? There's this, there's this wonderful yeah, little this moment is, we where need, some- We need, if there, was a, if there were people being killed in Sri Lanka and there were Tamils mm-hmm. and they don't have access to phones, I would want you to- Great, because, and that's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing it. with that. But when they, if someone said to me, well, you're not allowed to speak on that, right? What does that actually do? It yeah. restricts truth. I, I actually consider myself to be a voice for truth. I don't care what that looks 100%. like. I don't care. So if I think Beyonce forward. is not great, if I, I'm going to say that. If I think she's great, I'm going to say that. And I'm not going to limit myself by saying, well, you're not black. So you can't speak on that issue because I know that's bullcrap. That's just meant to make us all only comfortable speaking about certain issues before they get to slap your hand down and say, you can't talk about that issue. You should talk about it because there are facts and facts don't matter whether or not you're a white person speaking them, if you're a Sri Lankan speaking them, or if you're a black American speaking them, the facts are the facts. You know? Well, I always felt like I put my career on the line every step of the way for facts and truth. And, and you know, I made the Borders video before Beyonce put out Lemonade. And the, the vibe of that project and the meaning of it, I feel like is the only thing I ever had as an artist is that I... I wasn't interested in making money, but I was interested in dealing with what was truthful to me, you know. And we shot that video with um, uh, in South India, 
And I went to originally shoot it with refugees from Sri Lanka, from, you know, where all the Tamil refugees had gone and settled in the south of India. And we shot the video around there and tried to employ all the kids to be in it and stuff. And it was just a project that I had to go off and do for my own, you know, realization. And, and even though, and it got picked up in the, in the news. So it, it's got 25 million views or something on YouTube, but really where people saw it when it came out was on the news. So everybody kind of talked about the importance of it and people, you know, like Ad Zero covered it and loads of news outlets covered it. And, and I think I wasn't going to make it in the mainstream media because I'd said stuff, you know, that was not part of the narrative. And also politically, I was not going to back what was happening in the world, you know, due to the Arab Spring and stuff like that. So I couldn't just be cool with that, you know. And, and I'd stuck up for WikiLeaks. So I got cancelled on that level, you know. So I had to reject the music industry and the mainstream and all of this sort of stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go make this video. And da, da, da. But then I didn't realise that this was a thing that was valuable and that was going to get, be made into a template, you know. Like, I didn't even think of that, you know. Like, as, and, and I just feel like this is also another thing. It's like some people were very, like, not, I don't want to say jealous or envious, but it was, it was, it was this sort of place that you were able to overcome certain things, you know. And I felt like, and people came for it, you know. And then you had all of this other woke culture for the next five years based on everybody being activists and everybody caring about everything, you know, yet nothing got done except Except for for COVID. COVID. You know, what achieved, what happened at the end of that is that every common person got robbed, you know, and had their freedom taken away, censored, deleted off the internet you know, lost their jobs, forced to take whatever medications they didn't want. Like, everybody lost their rights, you know, and we were so busy upholding these sort of structures where we're like, well, you're not allowed to talk about that. You're not allowed to talk about that. And meanwhile, this other thing came along and just, like, squished everybody down, you know. It's the same with Black Lives Matter. And I am very excited for you to see my documentary because it was the same thing. Everybody's words got crushed. You were told you had to say this. You had to tell the line. There was all this division that was... I fell out with mainstream media. I fell out with wanting to even be a musician or, you know, a celebrity. is just like, what's the point when you can't even talk about what you... This is the most key important part. And then the ending. I want you to listen to what atrocities happen. And who Candace Owens is speaking with. And so it's just interesting to, to fast forward 10 years, you know, and see the state of the world because it's, I feel like it happens on a larger scale now. It's not just affecting my direct lineage of the Tamil people, but it's like everywhere, you know. The thing that's so stunning to me and why I keep asking you to, again, tell me these numbers and tell me what happened is that for any place for that many, even if you said it was 40,000, let's actually use the low number. If you told me 40,000 people perished anywhere, 
you would think that this would be wall-to-wall global coverage and people would all be outside boycotting and protesting all across the Western world. Especially, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm going, you could have one person die at the hands of police and launch a global movement. You're telling me that there was a beach and somewhere between 40,000, as if that's a small number, and 150,000 people perished and the government was behind this and nobody cared? Nobody cared. Not even Oprah. <laughs> nobody, of course nobody cared. Like I went on Bill Maher, like there's a documentary about it. It's called Matangi Maya MIA. And um, so it talks about that, you know, the dilemma I was having as an artist because artists, mu- musicians didn't speak about politics, you know. But I felt that I had no choice because I'm a Tamil. It's like you don't have a choice. You don't have the luxury, you know. And woke wasn't cool at the time and it wasn't marketable or, you know, people were just like, no one's interested. It's not cool. And that was that, you know. So you start speaking out about what's happening and what was the feedback that you were getting? Were, were, were there managers and people, people saying, people just like, didn't want to listen, listen to it. They yeah. just kept saying, talk about, you know, what's it like to eat truffle fries in Beverly Hills right now? You know, it was like that because people just wanted to hear the story of rags to riches. They wanted me to be like, I came from a mud hut, look at me now. You know, I'm driving a bent to Tamils. We're pushed onto a strip of beach that was a mile and a half long. And then and a Grammy and all of these things um, the same year. In the same, same month, the conflict was coming to an end. I used my platform to speak out about it. And even though my dad was not involved in the, in the resistance at the time, he was a mediator between the two. I chose to speak out, you know, because there was war crimes being committed. What do you a war crime? What do you mean? Well, the Sri Lankan government in 2009 and sort of evacuated all foreign media and all foreign politicians or mediators. Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State then. They actually blew up the head office of the BBC there and, um, you know, threatened everybody. So everyone left. And so there was this blanket blackout of information And then they forced 400,000 people onto a strip of beach and bombed them all, you know. 400,000 of their own citizens. 400,000 Tamils were pushed onto a strip of beach that was a mile and a half long. And then they were bombed in a no-fire zone. And so at the time, this was considered a war crime. And from 2009 to today, which is 2022, um, we've had to grovel at the UN as a victim, going, you know, they're torturing us in the prisons, they're raping these people, that we're still in refugee camps, you know, it's been 13 years. Like, and nothing has been done. No one's been tried, convicted, you know, held accountable. And then um, my um, uncle, he's, he was like 80 years old, He was the biggest bishop in Sri Lanka on, you know, both sides. And he was a Catholic priest and he dedicated 10 years of his life and he passed away last year to actually counting every single person who'd been killed in the last days of of 
the war coming to an end. So it's May to 2009. So everybody who died in that time on that strip of land, he recorded it. And it came to 149,000 people were killed. And the rest were taken as political prisoners and kept in camps. This bombing took place in 2009. Yes. In the modern world. We're not talking about a story from, I mean, you're, you're saying that in 2009, 190,000 people, 400,000 people were bombed. 149,000 people were killed wow. in 2009 on that strip of land. But the Western media and the mainstream media always had to repeat the same narrative. So this is where my interest um, in, in fake news really, it's not really my interest. It's just I, I, I had no choice but to learn it. So in 2009, I came across the concept of fake news because everyone was repeating the soundbite, which is 40,000 people, 40,000 people, 40,000 people. And it was like, that's impossible because yesterday you reported 20 and the week before there was 10. And then, you know, even if you use common sense to add up the math, it's over 40,000 people. But they kept repeating it. So, you know, I was really interested in why they take a soundbite and just zoom it out to the world and repeat that narrative and beat you over the head with it until you get so brainwashed and you surrender to that idea, you know. And that's when you start picking things apart, you know. And I kind of fell out with the internet. I fell out with mainstream media. I fell out with wanting to even be a musician or, you know, a celebrity is just like, what's the point when you can't even talk about what you want? And, and I hope you guys heard that correctly. In 2009, the Tamils, you know, almost half a million people were taken out to a strip of beach after Sri Lanka evacuated all Western media. Remember, Secretary Clinton was in charge of that. I talked about it. They put them there and then dropped bombs on the people. I hope you are listening. This happened in 2009 during the reign of Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. I have written articles about the Tamil. I have talked about the Tamil Tigers. I have talked about it, but never in this depth because I was hoping that that would be revisited with his impeachment. Again, the mainstream media changed the numbers. You know, kind of like, oh, he didn't, he died of a, of a stroke. Uh, I mean, heart attack. I mean, ulcer. No, he's alive. Heart attack. Oh, it was 10,000 people. Oh, I mean, 20, uh, uh, 40, 40, 40, 40. You mean 149,000. 149,000 people died that day. That's more people than what that died at the, the Twin Tower attack. 149,000 people. Some of your cities don't even have 149,000 people. And no one spoke. And this was done under the watch of Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton was there. She facilitated the communications. She was complacent. 
So the one thing that we can all do, and I will tell you how this impeachment goes, find the receipts. Find how much money the State Department in 2009 provided to Sri Lanka. Find out how much money they paid them after the massacre. And there you go. That's how you impeach. See, what's funny is we have so many people in Congress and the Senate that were around in 2009. When have they ever spoken about this? When have they ever said no? They have approved of this money. Could it be that they used American-made bombs to bomb these people? These are crimes against humanity. And you must remember that all those that have been in office in 2009 and are still there knew about it. They knew about it. They knew about it. Horrific crimes. Complacency. Complicit. Complacent. Happenstance, happen chance. The thing is, the more we see the truth, the more we don't want to look. I don't blame you. But the only way you cast demons aside is by calling them by their name. Let's all take a look how much money the Obama administration offered to Sri Lanka as they massacred 149,000 people with weapons purchased from the United States that Hillary Clinton facilitated. I've been meaning to do this show, but Mia, Maya, I may be pronouncing it wrong. I like Mia. It reminds me of a name of Erasmia, a very beloved childhood friend of mine. 2009, not 1999, not 1989, not 1979, 69, 59, 49, 39, 2009. The year Barack Hussein Obama took office. Huh. Interesting. On that note, have a wonderful evening and watch her video borders that Beyonce ripped off because when you go off script, they want to own everything you have to control the narrative. That's how they operate. In the meantime, enjoy the show and make sure you're participating. We need some directors. And the more of you that start writing the script, the more of them lose control of the narrative. Let's get the cooks in the kitchen.